Welcome to the We Are VIP podcast. Each week, your host, Casey Haston, Director of Recruiting at VIP, will bring you valuable insights from thought leaders, introduce you to incredible companies, and bring you tips for landing your dream job from our team of executive recruiters at VIP. And now, Casey Haston. Welcome to the We Are VIP podcast, a podcast devoted to adding value to your career or candidate search, brought to you by VIP. I'm your host, Casey Haston. I'm an executive recruiter, director of recruiting with VIP, and your all-around hiring guru. Today, you know it's my absolute delight just to bring you thought leaders and people who are going to share with you inspiration and ways to land that next job in slightly different ways sometimes, and so today's no different. So today on the show, I'd like to welcome Michael F. Shine, author of The Hype Handbook and owner of Micromedia, Microfame Media. We're going to get this right. Um, He's passionate about helping others build trust and clout among their target audiences. He believes that if you want your message to reach a large audience, you need a presence and a platform that shines. That's what we all want, right? So today he joins us to discuss his philosophy and how it can help job seekers gain recognition in order to land their next role even faster. Welcome to the show, Michael F. Shine. Well, thank you for having me. It is so great to be here. And so I just, I want to kind of talk about the elephant in the room. Why is it Michael F. Shine? You know, I'm trying to do be like David Foster Wallace, you know, tap into my authorly person. No, there's just, there's another Michael Shine who got to the URL before me. So I just started going by that and uh, it kind of stuck. You know, interesting. I had a guest on one time and in real life, he goes by Randy, but in all his other stuff, he goes by his full name, his full first, second and last name. And right. when I asked him that question, why do you do that? He's like, yeah, if you Google my name, it comes up with one of the village people. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I think that's a reason to keep the name. Are you crazy? <laughs> but then they don't find him. No, like, I know. I know. But still, it might be worth it if you're well, the same as a village person. Yeah. Right, right. So I, I wanted to chat with you real quick because one of the things we like to do is just emphasize the importance of connections and how you should always take that next phone call because you never know where that phone call is going to lead you or where that phone call is right. going to lead you and so on. So I'd love for you to share with our audience, how did you and I get connected? So a very lovely woman named Rachel Pitts uh, put us in touch. She is um, somebody whose podcast I was on. Her co-host is a woman named Gina Tremarco, who I met at a conference years ago. And we connected really by telling uncouth jokes to each other from like the minute we met. We were like within 10 minutes saying like really offensive, like humorous things and cracking up. I don't know how we both you know, knew that the other one was a kindred spirit in that way. But we kept in touch for years and became friends. And um, yeah, when when I uh, published my book, I, I uh, knew she had a great podcast um, and, and she had me on and I met Rachel that way. Rachel really liked the book a lot and used it to drive a lot of elements of her business and her marketing. Um, and she connected the two of you. I mean, me to you. Yeah, and and that connection goes just a little bit further because, and I didn't realize this at the time, but Gina Tremarco, who's also been on the show, and you're right, she's very funny. That's why she has an improv group, right? 
But right. she had shared with me an article that you wrote like over a year ago. And I was just like, I was so amazed when you like commented on it. I was like, oh my gosh, this guy is commenting on my stuff. This is so cool. And so it's really kind of full circle to now have you on the show after your book is published. So again, thank you for being here. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. This is great. You, you have a great show. Thank you. We like it. We're pretty excited about it. So, and our listeners love to learn new stuff all the time. So I know you're going to kind of give them a different spin on how to get noticed today, right? So yeah, I think let, I would I would hope so. Yeah. yeah. And, and I read a story um, in your book, and before we dig in, because I kind of want to give them an idea of what we're going to be talking about today, about, and I can't remember which principle it was, but you were talking about how when you want to get attention, you find someone, and, and correct me if I'm wrong here, that kind of stands for the exact opposite of what you stand for. And you were talking about Gary V. Mm -hmm. Am I saying that correctly? Yeah, um, I, I would say that a person or an idea, right? So in my case, um, Gary Vaynerchuk, Gary V is a big internet guru who, you know, very famous and in, in certainly in my niche. And um, he had this concept about 10 years ago, still has it, but he was all about it 10 years ago, that the only way you can become successful now, especially in the world of social media, is by working like a dog, promoting yourself from the minute you wake up, which should be at three in the morning, to the minute you go to bed, which should be at two in the morning. And, you know, it, it didn't make a lot of sense to me because that works really well if you're a full-time social media promoter. Um, but if you're running a business where you're actually working on the product or service itself, that's very challenging. Plus it's a, a terrible way to live. It's not very, you know, elegant or efficient. And so, um, because I was writing, I was selling at the time, a structured approach to content creation where it wasn't about brute force. I wrote this article in Inc magazine that said why Gary Vaynerchuk is flat out wrong. And I was very respectful, but I called out his ideas. Um, and he heard about it very quickly. And I, this was at the very start of my business. So I didn't have much cachet at the time. And um, he he recorded a video calling me by name and was very agitated. Um, all his followers who were very dedicated blew me up and talked about what an idiot I was. And it was the start of my career. I mean, it made me a known figure. I kind of rode on his coattails. But you can do that with an idea too. I just think the important thing is to have a very firm, strong point of view because human beings are much more attracted to being against things than they are to being for things. Even if we feel like we're very nice people, it's really encoded in, in, in our DNA to be that way. So you can take advantage of that. So again, going back to those interesting concepts, this is not something we hear every day is that, you know, we are programmed to be against things, right? So mm -hmm. let, let's kind of give our audience just a little bit of background real quick. So your book shares 12 fundamental strategies for creating and leveraging hype, kind of like this, for the good, right? So what does hype mean and how does it influence others? Yeah, so traditionally hype is, is a negative word. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people who like the book say on social media, don't be discouraged by the name. You know, <laughs> this is a really good book. But I did that on purpose because to me, I define hype simply as any set of activities that gets a group of people highly emotional so that you can direct them to take a certain action. So so the action you get them to take could be terrible. You know, it could be a religious cult, you know, um, doing horrible things. 
but it can be wonderful. You know, Martin Luther King used these same exact strategies to get people to accept what were then very alien concepts to white America. But the idea is that the psychological principles of how human beings behave and specifically how human beings behave in groups are, are what they are. You know, there, there are evolutionary reasons why we don't see the world accurately, why we get very worked up and irrational when we're in groups because we're the most social animal on earth, certainly the most social mammal. And um, you can either say, well, I don't want anything to do with that for whatever reason, or you can say, listen, that's the way the world is. There's nothing moral nor immoral about it. And as someone trying to do good in the world, as long as I'm not lying and as long as I'm not harming people, I'm going to tap into these mass psychology principles to get my ideas and my products and, and, and known or to get someone to hire me or to get someone to invest in me. And I, you know, I choose the latter. So. Well, and, and what I'm hearing is that you're, you know, saying to use those principles to kind of create that following, just like Martin Luther King did. So, yeah. and one of the tips you share in your book is to create a community of acolytes to further your cause. So, how does this relate to our job seekers? How can they build and lean into their network to help them expedite their job search? So the world has changed a lot, right? I mean, there used to be a time where, not too long ago, but if you were searching for a job, especially a white collar job, you got the right credentials and then you worked really hard to build a good resume. And, and we still see this in resumes that, that are that are um you know what do they call chronologically oriented that's what mm -hmm. we all do first right it's i had this job for eight years and i did this and i did this and i did this and i had this job and i had this job but we're in this world now where people are judged much more frequently by what they've done and what they've created and what their reputation is versus what experience you had. And the more prestigious and really high paying the job is, the more that's the case. So I can't tell you how many times I've seen someone who was having trouble sort of dropping their resume, you know, sending their resume out and getting a job and couldn't get a job maybe during a recession or during a transition, who then said, you know what, I'm going to go into business for myself. And they started um, some kind of consulting business or, uh, you know, a website or a podcast. And before they knew it, they were getting job offers because they had done something really interesting. The other thing is we all use these services now like LinkedIn and this and that. Many of us get jobs that way and that's good. But at the same time, if you're part of a tightly knit community of highly influential people, you will never lack for a job again. If there's a group of people that you're closely tied into who are movers and shakers and you get into a position where you need to be hired and you've nurtured those relationships, you won't even have to send resumes out, right? So I, really the principles are one and the same. If, if you know, So what you wanna do is turn yourself into a highly recognized entity in your niche. And what you also wanna do is be working behind the scenes to sort of, as I call it, build a secret society. And I talk a lot about hype artists, people who seem like they have these big followings and these big public personas. It seems like they do everything from a grassroots level, but they spend a whole lot of time becoming someone who knows someone. So I would say the same. So, I mean, one very quick tip 
for anybody, or, or I don't want to say quick, but a tip that anyone who's thinking they may ever want to get a really good job again should mm -hmm. start doing is build a list of like a hundred people, influential people that you'd love to meet. And this is different than regular networking. Use social media differently. Stalk these people benevolently online. Watch them a little while. And once in a great while, they're going to let something slip that's human. That's not about their business. That's not about what they're known for. They're going to talk about some hobby they have and would like to be recognized for that no one ever gives them recognition for. They're going to talk about some band they like, some sports team. And if you can connect over that, they will respond to you because everyone wants to be known for what they're not known for. You know what I mean? They want to be known for their human side. And then if you think about what do you give the man or woman who has everything? Well, you give them something they can't get with money. So is there something that's cheap for you to give up that's really valuable for them? So I'll give you an example. I, um, I used to write for Inc. Magazine, as I, as I mentioned, and there's this, um, gentleman named Dave Lindsay, who owns, who used to own a company called Defender Direct, which is a half billion dollar company that he started from his garage. And I interviewed this guy. And normally when you interview someone, you just interview them and, and, and that's it. But he, he mentioned that he had just moved from Indiana to New York and really loved live music. And they didn't have good live music in Indiana. And he couldn't wait to see the scene in New York, but didn't know where to go. And I'm a huge music fan. And I know those things. So it's like, oh, I'll show you around. That guy became my mentor and has given me so many opportunities because I gave him something that he just told me he wanted that was very easy for me to give, but I picked up on that. So that's something you need to start nurture that every great hype artist nurtures and that every job seeker should nurture as well. You know, so many good things there, and I hope that I can pull them out, you know. But the first thing I want to just really point out is what you're talking about is going back to your network, exactly how we open the show. And so many successful people and leaders like yourself, they all come back to that common theme. Build your network and build it now before you need it. Because when you need it, it's too late. That's true. But what I want to say about that, the reason I call it create a secret society instead of networking, is that networking has become sort of this rote thing. People go to networking events, they pass out cards or change things. Then they call you up and they say, "Who? how can I help you? And they make five introductions, you know, and they just, it's this whole like BNI model. And that's all valuable. But the people who really succeed with this, they go beyond networking. They almost create, you know, this core of friends. Like like Ryan Hall or Tucker Max wanted to switch from being a, a writer to starting a business. And he called Ryan Holiday, Tim Ferriss, uh, James Altucher, these guys who came up together and are all very influential. And it's not just like they met at a networking event. They're, they're like a cabal, they're friends, and they just blew his business up for him. Yeah, that is absolutely amazing. And that's such a great example. And I think that, you know, what you were talking about earlier about, you know, going to the events, handing out the business cards, making the calls, doing that kind of thing. I think that's old school networking. Me too. Yeah. I think the true networking, and, and just to give you an example, I belong to another uh, group right now that it's based on the give and take model. Are you familiar with that, Adam Grant? Uh, yeah, I am. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, and it's completely based on that or the go-giver philosophy, who, whomever you yeah. choose to look at. But it, it's, it's absolutely one of those organizations where when you get in there, 
you, you can help people, but you've got to have an ask. You've got to allow those right. other people to help you too. And through right. that, I have actually built out an incredible network for publishing my book, which is coming out in June. So, Well, congrats. And I think that's very wise. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So, okay. So let's go. We talked about that and you gave some really great tips. And the other one that you said was, you know, recognize people for what they're not normally recognized for. And that is, I think, huge. Um, so I just really want to kind of put a pin in that. And because we teach our job seekers all the time that don't just, you know, go straight for the juggler when you're trying to get that job with a hiring manager on LinkedIn, right. go follow them, go comment. And what you just said goes even a step further comment on something that's not, they're not known for. Right. Exactly. Are there any other, um, there, oh, go ahead. Oh, go on. No, no. No, I was just going to say, are there any other tips like that, that you would give when it comes to leveraging your LinkedIn platform? Yeah. I mean, LinkedIn is such a wonderful tool because it, it facilitates the warm connection. So, mm -hmm. so what I, do, so th this is loosely related to hype, but it's also my core concept of micro fame that in the digital age, you don't have to be famous. You don't have to become get on the Oprah show, although that would be nice. You need to get famous with the mini Oprahs, right? You need to like if you're in the uh, seafood industry, there's some seafood Oprah out there who's doing seafood content, right? So and, and that's much more doable. I don't want to say it's easy, but it's much more doable, right? So LinkedIn is a really perfect platform for that. So let's say that, you, you know, it, it's funny, in every niche, there's probably between 15 and 50, I don't know, podcasters, bloggers, YouTube people, whatever, who, who have all of the influence. And if you crack that circle, it'll look like you're everywhere at once. So imagine if you start creating content and you post it on LinkedIn on a regular basis. And then imagine if slowly but surely you seek out using some of the methods I talked to before, this 15 to 50 influential people, and you add them to LinkedIn, mm -hmm. right? And a certain percentage of them joins you. Now you're producing content and creating content and you're posting it. As far as they're concerned, they don't know if they saw that content on NBC or on Oprah or on LinkedIn, it just crossed their path at some point, you know? So eventually you're famous to them. And so one day you reach out to them and you say something like, here's a good idea. You have, let's say a podcast or a, um, a uh, blog and you say, listen, um, Joe Influencer, I'm doing a roundup article on the top 25 CEOs of blah, blah, blah. You're on my short list. Would you like me to do it? Now, a couple things go on. They've heard of you before. They don't know where they've heard of you from. They're like, oh, oh, wow, I'm so honored. Michael F. Shine reached out to me. The famous Michael F. Shine, whose content I've been seeing for six months. Wow, my ego just got stroked and I'm gonna get some exposure. You're coming in as a buyer instead of a seller. Now, when it's time to have a conversation, they're going to be very receptive to giving you what you want. I did this to promote my book. You know, I, when my book came out, I made a list of the top 100 podcasters in, in like um, consumer psychology and marketing. And, and I've told everybody that I did this and some of the people have hired me as a result. Mm -hmm. I said, I wrote them an email that said, hey, I'm doing an article on the top 
you know, 25 uh, marketing podcasts, uh, psychology podcasts for marketers, because it was in psychology today. I'd like, you're on my short list. I'd like to have you on um, the show in the article. Oh, by the way, I have a book. I'd like to see if it's something you would consider almost as an aside. Mm-hmm. And they had been seeing my stuff for months. So they, all of them reached out to me and I did this blitz of podcasts forever. So it's very easy to make yourself look bigger than you are and make people thankful that you reached out to them and want to give you opportunities instead of begging them. Can I pick your brain or whatever else we say? So true. So true. So let's kind of shift gears just a minute away from LinkedIn and let's say, okay, we've, we've gotten our audience. We've gotten our interview with the hiring manager. So what about interviewing? How can you hype yourself up for the interview in a way that demonstrates confidence, but still humility? Yeah. So, um, in an interview, I would say that it's really important to draw a distinction between one one great way of being humble and confident at the same time is knowing what your unique ability is. This is a concept I got from Dan Sullivan from Strategic Coach. Like I know that I'm uniquely good at a couple of things. I'm a very, very good writer. I'm really good at bold ideas. I'm really good at solving front end problems quickly, right? That allows me when I'm in a sales scenario, which is my version of an interview, I'm trying to get people to commit a lot of money to to working with us to say to people, you know, I'm really bad at a lot of things. I, I, I get lost all the time and they laugh, you know, and then I'll say, cause it's true. And I'll say, um, yeah, I'm not really the most organized guy in the world. Fortunately, I have people to help me with that. But when it comes to talking about my ability to come up with really contrarian and, and revenue generating marketing campaigns, creating content, I don't use qualifying words. I never say, I think I'm good at that. I guess I'm good at that. I, whatever it's, when I write your articles for you, we can expect to generate a large up- uptick in revenue. So people, you know, people don't like braggarts, but they also will trust when you speak directly. So if you say about your core competencies, I guess, I think, I win, they're going to take you at your word. You guess, you think. So there's a time and place. There's a time and place to be humble and to say, I guess. And I think when we started this podcast, my voice got played back to me and I said, oh, I can't stand my voice, but I'm okay saying that because why not? That doesn't affect the reason I'm here. Nope. You know, and and I want to just, again, such good information. And I love that because I, I guess I hadn't really thought about that. And it goes back to that psychology about, you know, exactly how people are going to perceive you if you say, I guess, I think, and all that kind of stuff. But what I really want to go back to is the fact that you talked about the unique ability program, which I'm a huge fan of as well. So I would highly encourage our audience that if you don't know what your passion is, this is one way to find it. Really go through this program by strategic coach. Um, It's called your, the, I think just unique ability, right? Is that what the program is Yeah, I called? took their signature three-year program, which I Whoa. found very valuable. And that, yeah, and that was their big, uh, that's like their core kind of concept. But yeah, it was, re- it was, um, it isn't cheap, but it was, it was pretty ground, pretty, pretty game-changing for me. Yeah. I think you can just get the workbook too. It may, it's probably not going to oh. be as intense oh, as yeah, that, you can. but the yeah, workbook you can. would yeah. be helpful and a little, probably a little oh, bit more affordable. Oh, yep. This is it. 
There it is. There you go. Unique Ability 2.0 Discovery. I think that's the newest version. And you're welcome, Strategic Coach, for that plug. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So I love that. So also in your book, you share ironclad tactics to make people adore you. I want everybody to adore me. Um, (laughs) But what if you're a job seeker and you can tell the hiring managers maybe having some hesitations? How do you fix that? You know... I mean, some of what we we talked about, but if you're sensing hesitation, it's really important to know that human beings are biologically reluctant to change. And and this isn't just the typical like personal development stuff where it's like, yeah, you know, change is hard, that kind of thing. We are set up so that if we encounter huge rapid change, our cortisol level goes up because in nature, that's a very dangerous thing. But gradual change, there's actually a threshold in our brain, in our, in our neural pathways that doesn't even pick up on small changes. Mm-hmm. And that's how magicians work. You know, they distract you and move like something really slowly. So, and it looks like it pops over to the other side, you know, and, and think about that. If, if, if everything turns orange and yellow really, really quickly in one second, that's a fire, right? Mm-hmm. But if it turns orange and yellow over three months, that's fall. And you don't even notice it till it happened. So... A good way to sort of diffuse, and, and cult leaders do this a lot, a good way to get people to accept unusual, like, like if let's say you're an unconventional hire, you know, a good way to do that is don't get people to say yes to a big thing like hiring you. Break your ask down into 10 different parts. Get them to agree or accept little things along the way. And before they know it, it's like the frog being boiled in a pot. You'll have yourself a job. And that works for every kind of persuasion. I mean, that's something that, you know, something I do in the book is I use really, really harsh, bad examples. And then I use examples of really good people and show that the concepts are the same. So I talk about Charles Manson, who is a despic- was a despicable human being, how he got middle-class kids to become murderers by asking them questions. He never told them what to do about little things and just sort of easing them into it. And how Warren Buffett does the same thing when he's negotiating. And um, that's a really good way to deal with with people who who, who have their guard up. I, that is such, I really wanna encourage people to go read this book because I love that you give those type of contra- contrasting examples because it does, you know, at first, and, I, and I'll, I'm one of those people, when I first saw the book, I was like, hi, Pam book, this is so not me. But then as I read <laughs> it, I'm like, oh, this is me, you know? Right. And who doesn't wanna be asked questions? And that makes perfect sense, you know? In coaching, that's the thing that they drive home is you, you always ask questions, open-ended questions, right? To get the people to move in the direction you want them to move. Or depending on where you're at in your career, here's another example of that. So let's say you want a job where you're doing really high-end stuff for $200,000 a year. And you sense that the person hiring you, while they do have the budget, if they make a wrong hire, there's an opportunity cost. They report to a boss. I mean, I'm making up a scenario. So we're also hungry to get a job. It's like, we're trying to win. We're trying to get a date, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, we're not, we're not really worried about the outcome. Even if we don't want the job, sometimes we want to be hired so we can say that we weren't rejected. 
But what if you really open your ears and you listen to what they're saying and they, they mention a project that needs doing, you know what I mean? And you say, listen, I understand that uh, someone who has my experience gets a big salary. I also understand, by the way, um, how much is one client worth? I'm going to be a sales manager. How much is one new client worth? A million dollars. Okay. What if you, um, you know, pay me um, just for a month and we don't even sign a contract? And I work on, um, you know, trying to generate three sales meetings that could convert to a million, you know, dollars, you know, would that be useful? I don't, I don't see how much I could lose doing that. Okay. Let's try that. Now, by the time they get used to working with you and, and this doesn't even have to be something with a result. Why don't you bring me on for a month? It seems like you have some work that is hard to do. You don't have to, you can just pay me the going rate and no need to hire me full on. You know what I mean? What's going to happen at the end of the month if you do a good job? Are they going to say, well, that was nice. See you later. They're going to become dependent on you. It becomes much easier to hire you for six months and then for a year and then for life. It's making that big change that's the problem. The interview is, interviews are stupid if you think about it. People ask dumb questions because they don't know what else to ask. You can never tell what someone is like working with you. As an employer, I much prefer to have someone work on a project to assess them. I, you know what, and I think that's so true, and part of what we do at VIP is we do the contract to hire, to give the right. client the opportunity to try before you buy. And if you do a good job, you know, it's on you at that point, whether or not you get that job or not. So, And it's the slow change thing, psychologically, <laughs> signing a year-long contract for six figures, five figures, whatever, that's a big risk. That's scary. That's emotionally difficult. Someone can get fired over that decision. Yes. Hiring someone to do some work is easy. But the, the thing is, it's a much smaller change to go from part-time to full-time. At that point, how many times, like I remember, I, I, I agonized over signing up to strategic coach because it was a long time ago. I didn't have I wasn't that successful yet. I mean, I was just starting out in my business, but someone told me that it was really important. Mm -hmm. So it took me six months to make that decision. I talked to them four times because they're expensive. Once I signed up though, it was still the same amount of money. By year three, by year two, I learned everything I needed to know. And I'm like, eh, I'll stay in another year, you know? I mean, and I really get a lot out of this, you know? Like, it was like, it was harder to quit, even though it cost me a lot of money. Exactly, exactly. So um, we are starting to kind of run out of time, but I want to ask you this one final question before we get to our VIP questions. So what other advice do you have for job seekers to help them land that job that they want? Not the one they don't want, but the one that they want, you know, by using hype. I'm going to give you sort of hype 2.0, like the, the advanced thing, because this is really makes a lot of sense, but it's the hardest thing to do. Okay create a character version of yourself and 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 live that character all the mm -hmm. time you know it, it's it's packaging meaning if you look at the real like gurus who would never have trouble getting a job so in the art world it's andy warhol or alfred hitchcock like alfred hitchcock his his kind of persona is so famous that you can just draw that little squiggle and you know that it's alfred yep. hitchcock he's like a walking cartoon character Andy Warhol with his silver wig and he wraps his office in, in tinfoil. If you can become a symbol as much as a human being, 
you'll never lack for opportunities. And that includes jobs. So, so what does that mean? Like I have a friend, Blaine Grayboys, who's a really sophisticated um, entrepreneur, typically in the video game space. And he's a couple years older than me. And he always wears, you no, know, I've never seen him without a scarf and black clothing and like sticking up hair. And that's just, that's who he is. Never, never in the summer. Like he wears that every day. And A, that's how he likes to dress. It's a uniform, but also he's creative and contrarian, even though he's in his forties and you look at that guy and the minute he walks into the room, he's that guy, you know, he's this dark artist who does like creative video games the way he talks he kind of talks like keanu reeves you know what i mean <laughs> like his whole he lives in the national arts club in new york city whenever he comes to new york city everything about him and it's it comes naturally because it's based on who he, what he really is so i would look at all the quirkiest parts of you even things you're insecure about and then say what's the flip side of that because the strengths everyone has i'm a real good people person well you and everyone else right but what are those things that are quirks that you're insecure about? Remember, the reason Andy Warhol wore a silver wig is because he was bald. So if you take those quirks and then you make it run through everything you do, you'll gain a reputation. You'll become known as a figure, as, as, as a character. And who doesn't want to hire a figure? Who doesn't want to hire that standout person? Um, it's hard to do. It takes a lot of work. Some, even Andy Warhol once said, sometimes it's a pleasure to go home at night and take off the Andy suit, mm. but, um, it pays dividends. That is really good. We might have to have a follow-up conversation. Just the two of us talk about <laughs> yeah. what my character needs to look like going forward. Okay. So, wow. Great information. I know people are going to have to go back and listen to this several times. I know I'm going to have to go back and listen to it several times because it's just more than I expected. Um, but now I get to ask you our VIP questions. Are you ready? I am. All right. So if you were chosen to be one of the first colonists on Mars, what three things or people would you take with you? It's a very important question. I gave it a lot of thought. Um, David Bowie. Oh, yeah. John Carter and Mark Watney. So David Bowie, you know, the man who fell from Earth's Ziggy Stardust, you want to have an alien of that caliber <laughs> on Mars. John Carter of Mars, right? He was like the first um, adventurer on Mars, right? From the old pulp serial novels. So we need him to fight the space monsters. And then um, Mark Watney was the guy from The Martian who had all the survival skills. He, he, would, he would be a really good person to have as well. So those would have to be my three uh, people on Mars. You know, it's so interesting because I get Matt Damon a lot, but it's the first time oh, I got yeah. the character's name from The Martian. I looked it up, I have to be honest. I was thinking <laughs> Matt Damon. I knew this question was coming. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay. What is one thing you do each morning to set your day up for success? I write, you know, um, I, and, and I don't always write business stuff. I mean, I write, I, I always have a creative project as well. Um, you know, there was a brief period of time right before the pandemic, like six months where I decided I was going to exercise first thing in the morning. And it was really valuable because it, um, it gave me a lot more energy and this and that, but I, I, I stopped because, um, I'm a writer at heart. It's what I've always done. It's the reason I'm energized by work. Like if I have to get up and do other kinds of work, it's harder for me to get out of bed. Not that I don't like it, but if I get up and write, it's my most creative time and it sets up that creativity. 
so yeah, I've done that for years and, um, whether it sets me up for success or not, I think it does, but, um, cause everything flows from that, but it's just part of me and it's something I need to do every morning. Well, I would say that you are pretty successful. So, you know, yeah, no, I, I think so too. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, I don't know what the direct tie between the writing and the success is, but I know that I don't think I'd be excited about anything else if I didn't start my day with that core central activity. Well, and I think you said it best though, that's where everything flows from and right. it helps you get into flow, right? And that's what the whole point exactly. of doing like any kind of morning ritual, whatever it is, it helps you gain that clarity so that you can go out and be successful and be focused on what you need to do. It's also my happiest time of the day. Like nothing is more pleasurable to me, especially when I really like, when, when I went to bed early the night before, I make my little coffee, like the drug addict. I hear the percolating, you know, thing. <laughs> that first cup is so good. And I sit there and I write and everything's quiet. It's just my my happiest time. I, I agree with you. I love my morning routine. So the first coffee. The first it, routine. Yeah. When when it's something coffee. you really get pleasure from. Yeah. So Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so my final question. If your life's work was being summarized in a news article, what would the headline be? So he never went through the front door when a side door would do. Okay. <laughs> it seems, yeah, I mean, it seems in my life that I always have these grand plans of how I'm going to get from A to B. And it turns out that I, I end up absolutely nowhere where I thought I would be, but it's because I kept my eyes open and, um, you know, and I'm usually happy with the end result. So like, if I knew that, I had to be an epic poet and nothing else would make me happy. I'd probably be pretty miserable now, but I've always known that I want to do something with media and writing. And, and um, so as a result, I became a content marketer, a book writer, uh, you know, um, all of these things that are, that are tied to that um, just by sort of loosening my gaze a little bit. And, and I've always done that. I, I love that too. That is so good. Loosen your gaze a little bit. That way you can see those other opportunities that might be right. glaring for you, right? So um, exactly. I ha have a copy of your book right here, and <laughs> I want to show it to everybody so they can see what it looks like. Michael F. Shine, the high pan book. Go out and get your copy today. I got mine off Amazon, so it's not autographed. Not complaining, but just saying. I, I'll, I'll, you know what? I could actually send you one of those... Uh, what are they called? Boilerplate, those signed things so you can stick it in the book. I'd be happy to do that. Okay. That'd be awesome. That'd <laughs> yeah. be awesome. So then you can't um, hold it against me. You know, I mean, I don't want to have, you know, I'm a hype artist. You can't have things <laughs> over my head. Exactly. This has been so good. Michael, I, I definitely want us to stay in touch because I just see that there's For a lot sure. of things that can come out of this and other ways we can help our audience. So I just have one last thing to say to you. You are a VIP right back at you. <laughs> and that's a wrap for today. Join us next week here on the We Are VIP podcast. We'd love to know how we can help you be a VIP. To find out more, log on to wearevip.com.